We um, continued last week talking about a series that Pastor Jeff led us into, Welcome Holy Spirit. I'm not sure there's anything that I appreciate being asked to be part of more because Holy Spirit's my best friend. Holy Spirit is the agency by which I know Father and Son. You know, sometimes when we talk about the Trinity, it's almost like we've got the Father and we have God the Son and we have Holy Spirit. But that's not how it is. I can't know the Father. I can't experience the Son without the living, abiding, visceral presence of Holy Spirit in my life. Otherwise, it's knowledge in my head that doesn't affect my life and doesn't change anything around me. It's his presence by his spirit that makes his word come alive. I understand the book by the spirit. I understand Papa that we sang about, Abba, Father. In fact, Paul says we've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So I only understand Papa God by Holy Spirit. I only access the righteousness and reality of Jesus Christ and his work in the cross and resurrection, his living word. I only get that by Holy Spirit. So today, as we step further into what Pastor Jeff talked about in that first message when he introduced us to the stranger in the room, that some of us don't quite understand. We're going we're gonna to dig deeper because Holy Spirit... His great desire is to reveal to us, to illuminate us with the light of the gospel, the reality of the Father and the love of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to talk about the illumination of the Spirit, but I've got an odd title for you. We're going to talk about a wild goose. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. I read this passage over and over again, preparing for this message. And the more I read it, the more it just kind of overwhelmed me with what Paul was saying. I'm going to try to get out some of that to you today, but I encourage your reading of it. What he says in these verses is really something that if we allow it to, it'll blow our minds. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it. To us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him in the same way? No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to pray for me this morning, church, because what's in me? I'm not sure I can get out to you today. Father, I love you so much for your heart for us. Jesus, thank you for the work of the cross, the power of the gospel. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are more here than we are this morning. Would you help me try to express what you've been needing into my spirit this week, that we may know your living presence in Christ's name and for his fame. Amen. Amen. Thank you. In the mid-1990s, Diane and I had the privilege of going to the UK and preaching across the country in a number of churches and attending a conference there where Christian leaders came from all over the country. Lots of people came from their churches and it was a wonderful time of worship and celebration. And one night, uh, the young people, kind of like what we had here today, a whole bunch of young ministers and people within the church began to testify and talk about how they were rediscovering the deep roots of their faith that were brought by missionaries in the 5th century to what we know as the UK, the Celtic Islands. And as we listened to them, as they explored how the gospel came to their people group, they began to tell the story about how that these communities of faith began to pop over the islands. And they would, they would experience this living presence of God. They used to talk about it as thin spaces between heaven and earth. And how God moved in the nations. This was before Augustine ever came with the Roman church. And so it was an indigenous, earthy, kind of primal move of God among these people. And in their, in their trying to express this wonderful trinity that they love so much, they would talk in blessings always in threes. They would always bless in the name of the Father, then bless in the name of the Son, and then bless in the name of the Holy Spirit because they had this incredible connection with Holy Spirit as the third member of the trinity. But they had a problem 
Because while they use the analogy of the dove that we read about in the scripture, these earthy people kind of felt like the dove was too tame a picture for the life and veracity of the Holy Spirit. So they came up with a different name for him. They called him on God gloss, the wild goose. That was their picture of Holy Spirit. You see, to them, he was so alive. He was so vibrant. He was so full of life that he was like a wild goose who flew where he wanted. Have you ever seen a goose chase a person? That's kind of how they had this picture of Holy Spirit. Now, I know that that may take some shots at our kind of staid and neat and tidy view of Holy Spirit. But as I've read the, the Bible, it becomes clear to me that the overarching picture is that Holy Spirit is more wild than mild. In fact, I just wanted to take you on a little journey for a couple of minutes through the Bible. to Kind of make my case for you. You see, there are some wild traits assigned to Holy Spirit. He's always seen as passionate. In fact, he's pictured as fire, like raging fire, consuming fire. He's always adventurous. He's always grabbing the people of God and leading them to places they would have never dreamed to go. He's creative. He, from the beginning, he broods over chaos and creates the beautiful world that we have around us. And then constantly, he's seen as creating from nothing, calling that which was not as though it is. He was spontaneous. Of all the members of the Trinity, Holy Spirit is, like, is the one that likes to sneak up on people and surprise them. And he is untamable. There's something about the Holy Spirit that he always brings us to the edge of eternity. And these wild traits come from his wild nature. God's spirit is talked about as power. In fact, in the New Testament, the word for power that's ascribed to the Holy Spirit is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. Holy Spirit is TNT, which is great news if you want him to break through for you. It's a whole other thing when he buries himself inside of you. Listen to G John, Jesus try to describe it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's trying to get this guy who has God very safely in a box to understand you don't box, Holy Spirit. He says in John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's a wild nature I always see the Holy Spirit with a twinkle in his eyes. Like he's looking at us and say, you have no idea what's coming. If, if Holy Spirit is anything, he's the mischievous part of the Trinity. And you see it in his wild actions. I just want to take one book out of the Bible and give you an example. The book of Acts. It really should be called, I think, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Acts of the Apostles. Because anytime the apostles did anything in the book of Acts, it's always prefaced by full of the Holy Spirit. They did these things. Like Holy Spirit always acted as fire and wind in the, 
book of Acts. He released healing and deliverance into places of darkness where literally he would confront demons and entire cities would bring all of their mythology and burn it. He translated people. He would just pick them up and go, no, 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 I want you over here right now. And then people would be looking around. They were just gone. He shook buildings. Multiple times he broke into jail. He even caused rebellious people to drop dead during the altar call. That's not one I'm asking him to repeat. He gave multiple people dreams and visions that were beyond their imagination. He even caused a riot or two in the book of Acts. It's his nature to be just a bit frisky. Some of you are just having all kinds of theology problems with me right now, aren't you? (laughs) You see, I believe Holy Spirit is wild at heart. I was reading this week and I came across a verse. I know I've read it dozens of times in the book of James. And it just kind of blew me away. Because James, as you well know, is the practical book of the New Testament. It's where he sits people down and says, okay, let me tell you how it is that we live as Christians. And he talks about things like how we use our tongue and how we gain wisdom. And he talks about things like how we treat the poor and how we treat the rich. And he gets really practical with his faith. He says to you, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. And in the middle of that, he says this about the Holy Spirit, James 4, 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Listen to the Good News translation. The spirit that God placed in us is filled with fierce desires. Here's Weymouth's translation. The spirit which he has caused to dwell in our hearts yearns jealously over us. Holy Spirit is passionate. Holy Spirit is fire. I wonder sometimes if the Celts were onto something with the whole wild goose thing. And maybe, just maybe, we have tried to clip his wings. Late Irish poet John O'Donohue said this I think there is a wonderful danger in God that we have totally forgotten. Because one of the things humanoids do is they like to bring in tamers to tame their deities. I believe this whole thing of following Holy Spirit is a wild goose chase. Now, One of my favorite authors, Mark Batterson, wrote a book by that title a few years back. I loved it and I immediately snatched it up because of my understandings from the mid-90s about all of this. And I've come to believe that Jesus kind of had the same picture in his mind of Holy Spirit. Now listen, I understand Holy Spirit can be gentle. We call him the comforter. And I've had him step into the dark places of my life and wipe tears from my eyes when my heart was broken beyond repair. I understand what it is to have him hold me and enfold me like a blanket and give me peace, his shalom that's beyond understanding. I get that part of him. But we dare not lock the Holy Spirit in a comfort zone. 
Because he's the comforter does not mean he wants to make us comfortable. There's a difference. See, I believe he will also awaken you with power. He will shake you awake in circumstances and let you see the kingdom of God invading your real life. I just think we dare not settle him or temper him because Jesus never did. In fact, it was the subject of his last discussion with his disciples. If you read John 13 through 17, it's, it's the evening that Jesus spent with his disciples, the evening that he died, and he's there with his disciples, and they have supper, and he sets up the whole picture of communion that we have, and he has this intimate talk with his disciples, and the majority of the subject matter was about Holy Spirit. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, now guys, you have no idea who's coming to dinner. You need to understand just a little bit about what I'm going to release upon you when I'm gone. And the promises about Holy Spirit that he makes ought to give us goosebumps. John 14, verses 16 and 17. Hear the heart of Jesus. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Stop with me for one minute right there. That's the NIV's translation of the word that you often hear as comforter. The word in the Greek is parakaleo, somebody that is called alongside to help. We've, we've used the word comforter and we've gotten the idea of that thing that we have at home that's on our bed that's all fluffy and we wrap it around us. That's a Holy Spirit. That's comforter. That's not at all the picture of the advocate. The advocate is one who comes alongside in the most difficult moments of your life and carries you through them when you wouldn't have made it through otherwise. We were on the way to church last night and I remembered this picture. Some of you will probably remember it from the Olympics, several Olympics ago. There was a black runner from one of the African nations and he was, he was doing really well in his sprint, but he pulled a hamstring as he was rounding the corner into the last stretch. And you saw him just in agony, grab the back, back of his leg and go down on his knee, ready to quit. And all the other runners are passing him. And then all of a sudden, out of the stands comes this old guy. And he comes running out there and they try to stop him. And he pushes away security. And he runs over and he pulls the arm of that young runner up around his shoulder and picks him up and begins to carry him. And the runner's just in agony. And he carries him all the way to the finish line. Turns out that was his dad. And when he was interviewed later, he said, my son did not come here to run. He came here to finish. That's the picture of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the one who comes alongside to help when you can't make it. He guarantees he's going to carry you to your destiny. That's the comforter. And that's who Jesus is talking about. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Kind of the deepest translation of that word truth is reality. Think of Holy Spirit as the spirit of reality. What's really real? The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. Here's what he says to his disciples. He will be with you. And will be in you. John 14, 26 and 15, 26 picks it up. 
But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify of me. John 16, 13 and 14. This is all in the same conversation. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. According to Jesus, the role, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to take everything that Jesus was and translate it into your life. And among us as the people of God, so that the fullness of Jesus Christ can be seen once again in the earth, in flesh. Holy Spirit comes to illumine, to light up our hearts and minds with the true reality of Jesus Christ. I remember sitting in my office, leaning back after I read those passages from John and thinking, you know, maybe I'm not chasing the wild goose. Maybe he's chasing me. Now back to our text in, in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul tries to unpack this reality for us. And as Paul was wont to do, his words were larger than he could communicate. And in this passage, he's trying to help the Corinthian church understand the purpose and presence of the Holy Spirit among them. You know, the Corinthian church was a great church, but it was a church just like us, full of people. And wherever there are people, there are problems. I'm afraid stupid runs deep. And there was a lot of stupid running through the Corinthian church. You read about it and sometimes you shake your head. I know pastors read about it and go, oh, I've seen that before. It, it was a good church. It was a wonderful church making a big difference, but it was a church full of broken people. And it's as if Paul comes to this moment and he says, when we came to preach to you, we didn't come to preach a nice, tidy gospel that will dust you up and make you better people. We came to you in the spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We came to you not with human words. We came to you in the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. It's like he has to remind them they were not birthed. In a calm moment, they erupted from the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want to remind you how important it is for you to have the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the, the lighting up of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he tells us why. And the first thing he says is that Holy Spirit knows the secrets of the kingdom. He establishes immediately this dichotomy in our text. It's between kingdom wisdom and cultural relevance. Listen to what he says. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Every single day, through streams of all kinds of media, the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the rulers of this world floods us. 
And Paul is saying, there is another voice you need to hear above the noise. Because he's the only one that can tell you how the kingdom works in this upside down world. I love the message translation about the wisdom of this world. It says, not popular wisdom, the fashionable wisdom of high priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. Does that sound familiar? He says, no, no, no. The wisdom of God is hidden in history. We have to look back to see the fingerprints of God all over history. Sometimes we get this idea that the church is what's happened, what we've known in our lives. But the body of Christ has a deep and rich history of pressing the kingdom of God into the historical realities of this world. Listen to Paul. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The message translates that little part as God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. And he said, the rulers of this world did not understand it, or if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That phrase, there is a wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden in history from before time began, and it's been there for our glory. Before God ever said, let there be light, he designed the gospel in such a way that those who have taken time to ferret out the gospel through the voice of the Holy Spirit have been glorified to be able to carry his presence in this broken world. He said, you need to look around because Holy Spirit will teach you where the kingdom is hidden in the world that you look at and think it's gone to hell in a handbasket. And he said he will reveal that in your hearts. I love this. However it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The purpose of Holy Spirit is to lead us into the mysteries of the kingdom. Show us how the kingdom works. And he does that by revealing the reality of God in our hearts. Listen to a couple other translations. The message, you've seen and heard it because God by his spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. J.B. Phillips says, God has, through his spirit, let, his, let us share his secret. Passion translation, God now unveils these profound realities to us by the spirit. You see, we live in a different kingdom. We live in a kingdom that's hidden in the midst of the darkness around us. And the only way that we know how the kingdom works in this broken world is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I listen to us in the church talk and I'm like, 
No, 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 no. Let's listen and see what God says about this. I, I hear Christians so defeated by what they see around them in the culture. I've, I've had them say to me, there's nothing that can be done. Just waiting for Jesus to come. This thing, this ship is sinking. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what God says about the world. There is a kingdom within this world. And Holy Spirit shows it to us. Mark Twain once said, it ain't what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that ain't so. You see, the Holy Spirit's desire is to call us, to invite us to explore mystery with him. Second thing Paul says is the Holy Spirit understands the heart of the Father. I I can't even put words around what Paul says. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Here's the message. The Spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. The Passion Translation, he has revealed to his inmost heart, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit spends a lot of his time spelunking into the heart of God, coming out with treasures, and his desire is to deposit those in your heart. Here's what we don't seem to get. Holy Spirit wants to create solutionaries out of believers. He he says, I can go into the heart of God and I can find solutions to the stuff the world can't figure out and I can deposit that if your heart is open to me. He says, I want you to know the heart of God for you so that I can release the heart of God in you. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit within them in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God so spirit of God digs deep into the heart of God and comes to us and Paul says what we have received is not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given to us Holy Spirit's desire is that we may understand this world and his kingdom. See, we not only need to understand the kingdom in a world of darkness, but we, to walk in that kingdom, we need a depth of love that we can't comprehend or, or, or generate within ourselves. And the voice of that love is the voice of Holy Spirit. He invites us into intimacy with God. Lastly, he reveals to us the mind of Christ. Now, if your mind hasn't been sufficiently blown by what Paul already said, this ought to be the trigger for you. This is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. My initial reaction to reading that again this week was, huh? We, we don't learn about real reality from the wisdom of this world. We learn about it when the Holy Spirit begins to expose that reality to us within our hearts. Holy Spirit will speak to you. And things will begin to make sense that didn't make sense before. 
that don't make sense as explained by the world. Because the world operates in senseless reason. Listen to what he says. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are spiritual. They are discerned only through the spirit. You hear what he says? The world looks at the people who have proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the answer and they think you're nuts. The word foolishness there is the Greek word from which we get our word moron. The world looks at the wisdom of God as if it's moronic. But I love what Paul says in another place in this book. He says, yeah, but the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. He's saying when God acts like a moron, he's still the smartest one in the room. You see, this world is filled with senseless reason. But Holy Spirit operates in reasonable sense. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Now, don't I remember Pastor Jeff teaching in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount about judge not lest ye be judged? And yet Paul says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Pastor talked about that, if you'll remember. We're not told that we can't judge. We're told that we can't judge by the standards of this world and by the spirit of this age. But he says, you guys, you need to understand you can perceive reality as it actually is because of the spirit of God within you. Who has known the mind of the Lord so that we could instruct him. It's a rhetorical question from Paul. He says, who thinks they're smart enough? To understand God. And then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. That one did me in. We have the very thinking processes. The computing power of the mind of Christ within us and among us as believers. J.B. Phillips said, the spiritual man, on the other hand, has an insight into the meaning of everything. Though his insight may baffle the man of the world. See, Holy Spirit comes as an invitation to the Father. He first invites us, come explore mystery with me. And then he invites us, come and experience intimacy with the Father. And then he invites, come and exhibit reality to the world. I'm going to wind this up. Psalm 24 has this incredible passage in it. Verse 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. The Lord, God Jehovah, king of everything. Whispers secrets, confides in those who fear him. I love the Passion Translation. There's a private place reserved for the devoted lovers of Yahweh where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. God collaborates with those who will co-labor with him. We We were sitting on our back porch not long ago. And we sit out there together 
pretty much every morning. And that's where I get up really early. I have my time with the Lord. and We sit by the lake. We talk. We pray together. And we were sitting there discussing some of this. And I said to Diane, I said, you know, right now, in this moment, all around us, there is, the skies are filled with sound. Not the sounds we hear, the birds in the lake, but sounds. And the only way to hear those sounds is to have the correct receiver tuned to the correct frequency. With that, you can pull those sounds out of the air. And I said, Holy Spirit is constantly bringing revelation. He is constantly filling the air with truth and reality. All we have to do is tune the receiver. So I thought, how do you do that? Here it is. First of all, you tune the receiver. The first basic for that is he will sound like the book. So get familiar with it. See, the Holy Spirit, when he speaks, it comes through the filter of what he's already said in the inspired word of God. I've, I've been a Christian for about 50 years. I've been in ministry preaching and teaching. I have a dusty old Bible degree and four years of New Testament Greek and all that kind of stuff. Every single day, I still need to get up and I need to explore this book. Because if I'm going to hear God, it's going to sound like the book. The first place Holy Spirit speaks to me is right out of the word. I have to get familiar with it. Because sometimes he chooses to speak in a different way. And for me to know it's him, I have to know his voice. Second thing is he will speak in multiple ways. Get flexible. I mean, throughout the word, he spoke in dreams. He spoke in visions. He spoke one time through a donkey. Some of you say he's doing that right now again. (laughs) He spoke in multitudes, myriad of ways to people. And sometimes we don't hear him because we don't want to hear him like that. Third thing to tune your receiver is he will shape you like Jesus. Get focused. Primary role of Holy Spirit is in individuals and in the collective body to create the maturity of presence so that the fullness of Jesus Christ can be seen in the earth again. We literally are designed to carry Christ individually and collectively into our world. Holy Spirit's design and desire is to make us like Jesus. And the last is he will spur you to action. So get free. He doesn't come to teach you and talk to you to make you know more. He literally comes to shake you out of the nest and make you fly. Father, There's no way I can possibly even comprehend, much less communicate. The degree to which you want your Holy Spirit to be real to us. How much you want to communicate to our hearts through him. His presence in the word. His presence in our hearts. His presence among believers. 
There's no way, Holy Spirit, we can even touch and fathom how much you want to make us solutionaries in this broken world. But we bow our heads today and we pray the only thing we know how to pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds. Be the spirit of truth to us that we might see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.